Welcome to the April 2021 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. I'm Lisa Louise Cook. We're going to kick off this episode with a look at what's going on in the genealogy world on social media. And we will do that with social media editor at Family Tree Magazine, Rachel Fountain. And then we're going to dig into my Lisa's Picks column, which regularly appears in Family Tree Magazine, and go a little deeper into one of my favorite genealogy picks, the Allen County Public Library. And my special guest is librarian Allison Singleton. Then Diane Southard's going to be here talking about chromosome browsers. What are they and do you need them? Dave Frixell is going to stop by uh, to cover some of the best websites for Civil War research. And after all that, we're going to wrap things up over at the editor's desk with Family Tree Magazine editor Andrew Cook. As always, we have a lot to cover, so let's get to it. First up is my conversation with Rachel Fountain. Well, here in Tree Talk on the Family Tree Magazine podcast, we've had a chance to hear a lot about your own success stories in genealogy. And Rachel Fountain over at Family Tree Magazine is out there on social media, talking to you, listening to you over uh, at Family Tree Magazine on Facebook and all the other social media platforms. And uh, there's always a lot going on. So I thought we'd invite Rachel to the show today to talk about some of the latest happenings. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I'm doing great. And and I love kind of just going out on social media and just kind of seeing what's on the minds of genealogists and what are some of the, the happenings going on with the libraries, the archives, the societies. Uh, what have you seen lately? Sure. So, so I manage the social media over here at Family Tree. And one of my favorite parts of that is something called the Archives Hashtag Party. And what that is, is it's an event on Twitter and Instagram that's put on by the U.S. National Archives. And what they do is every month, it's around the first Friday of every month, so there's one actually happening today as we're recording, um, the U.S. National Archives will pick a theme and then they will go out on social and they will create a hashtag and they will encourage um, libraries and archives and museums to share share items from their holdings on social media with that hashtag. So. For example, today is hashtag archives tip of the hat, which is so fun. So that's the theme for today. So if you scroll through, which I'm doing right now. So as I'm scrolling through, I'm seeing tweets from libraries and archives that are all about hats. So for example, I see one from the JFK library and they've shared a photo of the hat that President Kennedy wore to his inauguration. Um, the National Archives themselves, they shared a patent for a hat that is designed to prevent drowning, which is interesting. <laughs> Not sure how that's relevant, but, um, and then over on our profile, um, our follower, Kay O'Rourke, she shared a gorgeous photo of her ancestor, um, Margareta Dillon, who was a dressmaker to the 1% in New York City, she says. And it's a gorgeous photo of her. It's like late 1800s, early 1900s. And she's got this huge hat on with a lace ruffled collar. And I will leave um, links to all of these in the show notes so um, our listeners can go and check it out. But if you're on Twitter or you're on Instagram, I would really recommend following this hashtag um, because it's so fun. And I look forward to it every month just for a smile and to um, see what interesting things archives have in their holdings as well as, as, well as our readers. So. 
Yeah, another uh, genealogist, libraries. So it's called the archives hashtag party. What's the what's the actual hashtag that they use? So the hashtag depends on the theme, but they're all tied together with the hashtag archives hashtag party. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. They have a page on their website that announces the next one. And of course, you know, being the archives, it has an archive of the past hashtags. So you can go and check those out as well. Oh, fun. So if you follow the U.S. National Archives uh, on Twitter, then that would be a great way to go. And then the pound sign or the number sign, of course, is the hashtag. And you can attach that to whatever uh, they'll assign what that hashtag is going to be each time. So, well, we'll look forward to seeing lots of our listeners and readers out there contributing. How fun. And, you know, I want to mention too, of course, they can stay in touch with, with you and what's going on and what's happening at Family Tree Magazine through the email newsletter, right? Tell us how we can uh, get your hands on that. Yeah, we send out a variety of newsletters, including a weekly newsletter. It's sent on Thursdays called the Genealogy Insider. And to sign up, you can go to our website and scroll down to the footer. The footer appears on any page. And under Family Tree Services, you'll see Family Tree Newsletters. So you just click on that and that will take you to the page to subscribe. Or if you'd rather, you can just go to familytreemagazine.com backslash newsletter dash sign up. And I will also leave um, a link to that page in the show notes. Great. And I highly recommend it. It's the newsletter is chock full of lots of advice and tips and step-by-step guides, lots of things for the genealogist to use. Great to talk to you, Rachel. And we'll have links, of course, to everything that Rachel mentioned uh, in the show notes. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you next month. Sounds great. Thanks, Lisa. In each issue of Family Tree Magazine, I have the opportunity and the pleasure to share some of my favorite genealogy picks in my Lisa's Picks column. And in the May-June 2021 issue, my featured pick is the Allen County Public Library's Genealogy Center. It's in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Here to tell us more about it is one of the librarians from the Genealogy Center, Allison Singleton. You guys have this, I think it's, am I correct? The second largest genealogy library in the country? You are correct. Yeah. So give them a sense of who you are, where you guys are physically. How does the second largest genealogy library and center in the United States pop out of a public library in Fort Wayne, Indiana? And what's a little bit of the history behind who you guys are? Sure, of course. So... Let me start with the founding. Um, So basically we had a director, a director of the library who was a bit eccentric, um, Fred Reynolds. And he saw that genealogists were not being served as well in many other libraries across the country. And I'm sure as researchers, you have come across a few, which is unfortunate because as a librarian, I wanna see everybody served equally, Um, but Fred Reynolds decided there and then that he wanted to build a collection to invite genealogists to come and research at the Allen County Public Library. And from there, it's grown quite a bit. Um, And currently, we're under the direction of Kurt Witcher. He is the director of special collections and the Genealogy Center. So he has continued to lead us into the future and continued to help us grow. Um, Currently, we have 42,000 square feet of materials. Yeah. 
So there's a lot. We focus on North America, but we also have other countries as well. Um, within that North America, we do have the largest collection of Canadian records outside of Canada. And then other international records that are of note, we do have a pretty large United Kingdom collection. And then we have the largest collection of South African materials out of South Africa. Wow. It's a great reminder that every library, every archive is not necessarily only centered on the place where they are, their physical location. Oh, yeah. It's very interesting. We get phone calls and people are like, do you have things for other states? And I'm like, oh, yes, we do. What, what do you want? <laughs> We yeah. have something for every single state and then some. <laughs> Absolutely. And of course, Kurt Witcher has been a, a guest on the Genealogy Gems podcast. And I think my, my old family history podcast, one of my favorite people. So say hi to, to Kurt for me. Um, I would love to have you take us on a tour. A lot of folks are excited to use your website from home. And they're definitely passionate about genealogy. So how about take us on a tour? Let's talk about the best practices to get the most out of the website. So this is our new website. It's brand new. It just launched in August. So we're, wow. we're in a pandemic and we're launching websites. <laughs> um, so at the top, it looks like there's a, another web address, but if you still go to genealogycenter.org, it takes you to the correct location. So I highly recommend not memorizing this and just keeping genealogycenter.org firmly in your brain because Excellent. that is how you get here. Once you're here, there's a lot of different options and you can scroll down and see what's going on. A couple things uh, to note is we do have a genealogy community, so you can see where you can ask us questions. Um, we have a e-newsletter, um, and then we're very active on social media, so please feel free to contact us, and especially during um, the month of October and during other periods of the year when there's special events, we are super active on Facebook, so keep an eye out on Facebook. Uh, we also have Pathfinders. So this I find to be really helpful if somebody is going, well, what do you have on this state? Well, we can click on the state Pathfinders and pick a state. So let's go to Massachusetts just for fun. So Allison, should we think of Pathfinders as you're kind of saying here, if you have a path you want to follow to get to a certain area of research or location, that's what you mean by that? Yes, I kind of look at them like, inspiration. These are a very, very, very small snapshot of what we have for any part of the collection. So if you're looking to get started in our collection on Massachusetts, this is just a few suggestions of where to start. So you have the research guides, um, biographical, and then it goes into cemeteries, etc. So there's a lot of information in here that maybe you didn't think of, oh, they might have vital records for all of these towns. Um, this is amazing. This would be an amazing resource if your family's from Massachusetts. So we want to make sure that people realize that there's different types of records available within our genealogy center. So that's why we do have these pathfinders or snapshots into the collection. And we have one for every single state. And we do break down Indiana a little bit just because that's where we're physically located. So we're in Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is kind of just north 
East Indiana. Um, we're not too far from Chicago. We're not too far from Indianapolis. We're not too far from Detroit, but um, it is a smaller city. Um, but we do have so many pieces of materials that you can't find anywhere else. And just to give you an idea, we do have subject snapshots. So if you're getting started in any of these subjects, or international. So this is where you can see what we have for other locations across the world. Great, so this sounds like a really great place to start just to get a, a quick orientation to what might be out there and accessible through the website. Right, and just a reminder, this is a very, very small look. So not um, comprehensive. <laughs> exactly. If I were to go out there, I would grab a cart and try to pull all the books for a certain county, and I probably wouldn't be able to fit them all in one cart. Wow. So if that gives you guys a visual. Mm -hmm. So we also, if I go back to the homepage, I just click on the little logo or the home, and it takes me back. If I go to our resources, this is the bread and butter of researching from home free databases. Yes. I don't know about you, but free is my four, favorite four-letter word. <laughs> so we have the Microtext catalog. We do have over 600,000 pieces of microfilm and fiche in our collection. Um, but we also have something called the African American Gateway and the Native American Gateway. And these are two parts of the collection that we actively try to grow as much as we can. Um, so if you go to these gateways, you can find different pieces of information. So if I go to US states, I can click on a state. Let's go to Georgia for fun. And then we give you websites. So these are websites that you can go to from home to do research. Let's say you're getting started with African-American research in Georgia. So this would be a great place to start. And then we have all the books in our collection that are specific to Georgia, African-American research, general, and then counties alphabetical. Wow. So a lot of this, it's really almost like a Cindy's list. It's compiling links to many other resources, which makes you guys a great starting point. Yes, and that's what we really want to be because it, these African-American research and Native American research are sometimes more difficult for people to get started in. And so mm -hmm. we really want to help people. We want to get them to the next step where they can find information. We are the home of the Midwest African-American Genealogical Institute that is held every year. And it is an excellent opportunity for African-American researchers to learn how to deep dive into their genealogy research. And I noticed back on your main page list. I even saw family Bibles. Tell us a little bit more about this. Of course. So we actively collect scans from family Bibles from all over. We don't want to keep them. So let me start there. If you have a family Bible and we understand that that is a cherished possession, all we would love to have in our collection is a scan of the pertinent pages for family history. And that's what these wonderful people have done in sending us these wonderful pictures. So this is the type of information that we look for. And if this is your family, this is priceless. Absolutely. Now, I noticed that you had them grouped by the surnames. And of course, there might be other names connected to the family. 
Are these searchable in any way, or do we need to just browse through, click the links and browse? They are searchable. So over here to the right-hand side, you can search by surname, first name, and then go through the family Bibles. Excellent. We really try to make it easy. Yeah. How could they contribute scans of their Bible to you? Well, we have a section on our website, donations. So donations are not just monetary donations. We're also looking for research. And this is what we would love to have. So if you already have information that's been scanned and can be put on our website, this is the best thing for researchers across the country and your family. We all have family that live in other locations. So it's really nice to be able to say, hey, I put great grandma's Bible on this website so you can look at it at any time when you want to. So that family Bible page is wonderful. And we also have related to that family resources. So when people are writing their family histories, a lot of times they think, oh my goodness, I have to get this published. It's self-published. And sometimes that can cost a lot or they'll take it to maybe like a Kinko's and get it bound. And all of those are perfectly acceptable ways, but another way to share it with more people is to send us a copy, a digital copy, and we can put it on our websites. And we do make sure that it is attributed to the author. It is under copyright. It does go into our catalog. So we love making things accessible. So folks are donating these to you as well. Are you guys doing some of your own digitization? Every day we're doing our own digitization. Um, Many times people donate um, their family collections to us. Sometimes they put it in their will or how they want their estate broken up. They'll have their uh, research sent to us, and that can be digitized. We've been digitizing um, family association records, so you can find a lot of that information as well. And we've been digitizing when people come in and they say, hey, I have this amazing collection of my family materials, but I want to keep it because it's precious to me. Would you want to digitize it so my family members can research it? And that's what we do. Now, we do understand that a lot of people are not local, so that's a little bit more difficult, which is why we have the option for you to scan and just send us the digital files. I did want to note our military heritage. We are actively collecting military information, war or peacetime. So you can find things that perhaps are a little bit more difficult. As we all know, there was a fire at the National Archives in St. Louis. So finding discharge papers for World War I, World War II is so difficult. Right, right. So you can find a lot of really cool stuff in here. So there's unit histories and rosters. Um, there's videos in here, there's photographs, and the letters, the letters are just amazing. I cannot even begin to talk about how adorable these letters are. Dear mother and dad, I love the different ways people address their loved ones. Mm -hmm. Unique to each family. Exactly. So there's a lot of really cool information in all of these. 
Well, it sounds fantastic. Um, again, the resource is the Genealogy Center at Allen County Public Library. And Allison Singleton, I thank you so much for a personalized tour here on the show. We really appreciate it. I think you'll be hearing from a lot more <laughs> genealogists who are excited about the resources that you offer. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been delightful. Do you need to use a chromosome browser? Now, I'm not talking about the Chrome web browser, but a chromosome, as in DNA browser. Well, in this month's DNA Deconstructed segment, Diane Southern is back, and she's going to help us answer that question. Welcome back, Diane. Thanks, Lisa. It's nice to be here. Well, you know, people hear about this chromosome browser, and it just, it's hard to kind of put it into context when we think about DNA. But Let's just answer the question. Do genealogists really need to figure out how to use things like chromosome browsers and and centimorgans to be successful in family history? I'm so glad we're talking about this. It's (laughs) kind of my soapbox topic. So you may have to like pluck me off of it if I start going (laughs) on a little too much about it. Um, I feel like there's value in these, what I would consider to be some advanced tools. And I would consider the chromosome browser to be an advanced tool. So the chromosome browser is available at MyHeritage, at 23andMe, at Family Tree DNA, And it really is a picture. It shows you where on the chromosome you share with someone else. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of images. So the chromosome browser itself, like just to look at is awesome. It's so fun because you can, Lisa, you can see the piece of DNA that you share with your second cousin, which means that's the piece of DNA that you got from your great grandfather. And that's pretty cool, right? Sounds very cool. Yeah. So I think the principle of it is fun. It's interesting. It, it's, um, it's beautiful in a way to see yourself in terms of these bits of DNA that you received from your ancestors. I love it, but is it going to help you find your two times great grandfather if you don't know who he is? And the answer to that, I think most of the time, and when I say most, I mean like 98% of the time, is no, you don't need a chromosome browser to find your two times great-grandfather. Interesting, because, you know, when they first came out, boy, you just heard all about them. And it seems like, uh, just logically, that is you're trying to look through a tree and figure out where things, you know, come through the lines, the family lines, like, oh, that would make sense. That would really help. But you're saying it really doesn't. Why is that? Well, it comes down to to a principle of of really math and statistics. So a lot of people use chromosome browsers to help them decide how DNA matches are related to them. So it seems like a really straightforward principle. You find a piece of DNA, that one that you're sharing with your second cousin, then you know it had to come from a certain ancestral couple. Actually, it's a couple. You don't know which of your great-grandparents it came from, but you, you know that had to come from them, right? And so then people start looking for other people who are sharing that exact same piece with them. And then they think, oh, well, if they're sharing that piece, they have to come from this ancestral couple. And so they start kind of hunting for matches to a particular segment of DNA, Instead of thinking about, well, you didn't just get that piece from your two times great grandfather, right? You got a lot of pieces actually from him. And so it's kind of limiting in a way to look for matches that only share on a particular piece of DNA when there's actually lots of pieces of DNA that you could be matching to a particular ancestor. 
So instead of using a segment approach where you're looking for pieces, specific pieces that are shared, what you should be doing is just asking, who am I sharing any DNA with, right? So if you take (laughs) that same second cousin who you know is a descendant of your ancestor, you use what's called the shared matches tool. That's available at every company. And I hands down think it's the most powerful tool that our companies are giving us. It lets you ask the question, who else is sharing DNA with me and my second cousin? So they share DNA with him and with me. That's what really means that you're related to this same ancestral couple. You shouldn't even share on the same piece of DNA, actually, because you all got different pieces. But it's just that idea that you're sharing DNA with someone you know is related to an ancestor. And that person is also sharing DNA with this third person, which means that third person is also related to you through that same ancestral line. Wow. And that's really what we're looking for. It almost sounds like... uh you know, the, the whole chromosome segment thing that can almost become a red herring. It's, it's something that you, oh, it's, you're almost it, micromanaging oh, and you're, you're yes. missing the big picture. <laughs> you're missing the big picture yeah. and it's confusing mm-hmm. and it can be overwhelming. And the way you have to do it to, to analyze it is really sciencey, which is great if you like science, but most genealogists are like, oh, they're coming, kicking and screaming into science. And I, I love to tell people you don't need a chromosome browser and just watch the relief on their face. They're like big sigh of relief. Oh, good. I don't have to use that thing. I don't have to map these segments. And for people that like to go for it, like, I'm not saying that it has no value. I'm just trying to tell you, if you don't want to use one, it's okay. You don't need it. Well, I think I'm hearing some sighs of relief out there from our (laughs) listeners. So, but that's really good to know because, uh, you know, we hear about lots of different things and there's only so much time in each and every day to spend learning and you certainly want to make progress. So thank you, Diane Southern, for helping us make progress. So appreciate it. You're welcome. I hope I freed up some of your time to do some shared matches searching. In our best website segment this month, we're going to focus in on one type of record, the records of the Civil War. Now, these days, all you need is a computer or a phone to explore Civil War service records, regimental histories, pension applications, maps, letters, and a lot more. So here to guide our search to the best websites for Civil War research is Dave Frixell. He is the author of Family Tree Magazine's best websites lists. Welcome back, Dave. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Well, you put together these lists uh, all the time in, in all different types of forms. And this Civil War list, this is not the first time you've kind of put this together. And things have changed a lot since the first time, right? Boy, they really have. Yeah, I originally did this list for the sesquicentennial 10 years ago of the start of the war. And even then, there was a lot of good stuff on you know available online. But it has changed dramatically since then. And I think only about six or seven of the websites are really the same of the main 10. There's also a list of state websites, and they've just changed like crazy. Uh, It just seems to be a uh, thing that state archives and uh, Secretary of State's offices do is change their URLs every few years. Um, So it really was important to have it updated. And it also reflects how much new good stuff there is on there. 
Oh, yeah. And of course, uh, the current issue of Family Tree magazine is devoted to the Civil War and Civil War research. It's the May-June 2021 issue, and it does reference this article, which is online. So I will have a link in the show notes to it. But let's touch on a couple of um, the, the best parts of the list. And let's just start at the beginning, the Civil War soldiers and sailors system. Now, that's been around for a while, but it's really comprehensive, isn't it? It really is. It's an amazing thing. It's a National Park Service project of all things. Um, And they took these index cards that were created for a general back in the 1880s uh, as a project to document Civil War service and have put all the information online. And it's over 6 million names. It's it's soldiers. Sailors is in the name, but except for um, some African-American sailors, uh, the sailors part is just not represented as well. And that's the, those records just don't exist as well. So, uh, but if you have a Civil War soldier, which most of us who have the ancestors of that period would have, you can find them. <clears throat> it's easy to find. Uh, you enter as much or as little information as you know, just sort of a blank now just to type names into. So you can type names, initials. It doesn't use wild cards, but it does kind of have a fuzzy factor to it. So it's very easy to find. And what it gives you is the key information that you need about that person's service uh, includes their rank, that sort of thing. And most important for learning more, it lists what state they serve from, what side, because, you know, you never know. The Usually the regiment and company. So it might be, you know, Minnesota Infantry Company A. And that's the information you need to use to go to any of these other websites and find really in-depth information about your ancestor. So while the depth may not be as great, it sounds like it really touches on most of those who served. Is this really the the best starting place then? It really is. Even if you have a subscription to one of the other websites or trying family search, um, if you get that basic info right there, then you can take that and and, uh, run with it. And because it's so easy to find um, on the site, I just think it's a good place to start. If you go and just search for your ancestor on some of these other sites, there's great stuff, but it's easy also to get lost. Here you've got a single mission, and that's to find, you know, what's the basic info about his uh, service. Excellent. And, of course, the second item on your list is a great place to go, I would think, after that, which is Fold 3. And this is owned by Ancestry, correct? And it's changed a little bit over the years. Correct, yes. When we did the list the first time 10 years ago, it was called Footnote. uh, And it was... because it had this partnership with the National Archives, but it then shifted to focus more, but not exclusively on military records. And the name Fold 3 is a reference to how the flag is folded for a veteran. And so now they have digitized just a world of stuff. And that has also gotten better in recent years. Originally, they had, weirdly, given who won the war, they had a lot of Confederate records that were very complete. To give you an example, Uh, I had an ancestor who served from Georgia, and at one point, he was an orderly in a military hospital. And when I found his, uh, it's called the Combined Military Service Record, CMSR, every piece of paper that he had signed, you know, if they delivered new sheets, there's my ancestor's signature (laughs) on the paperwork. It was a little more than you needed, but, and now increasingly, um, those sort of records, the packets, as you will, um, are becoming available for uh, Union veterans also. And it varies. Some of those records are on FamilySearch 2 now, 
And it's worth checking really both because they don't, aren't exactly the same. One might have an index only, one might have um, the, the full packet, but maybe not all the packets. So it's, it's better to, you know, hedge your bets there. Oh, yeah. Okay, so we started with the Civil War Soldiers and Sailors system. Now, that was free. And Footnote is a subscription, correct? Um, let's jump to FamilySearch, because you mentioned FamilySearch is maybe having even some of the same records. And FamilySearch.org is free. Tell us about that. Well, and this is, a, again, another change is that FamilySearch has really had a huge, as you know, effort to digitize and put their records online. And that's true of Civil War records, too. FamilySearch was not even on the list 10 years ago. Right. Uh, but now they've they've got all these different databases. It's a little tricky because family search isn't really organized by era. So it's not like there's a neat little, you know, click to find Civil War records here. Um, but if you, you can either go by state, if you know the state, or you can search for terms like Civil War or uh, Confederate, you know, in the, in the index of uh, collections. And some of the sites of the, that we list as state sites, that information is also on FamilySearch now. Um, not all of it, but a lot of it has sort of migrated over there. So if you can't, if the URL on those changes again, it's worth trying FamilySearch just to see. Yeah, and I like their card catalog. You know, that's another interesting way to do keyword searches on Civil War type topics. If you put in uh, Civil War, Confederate, Union Army, you know, things can also pop up collections that way as well, which is kind of neat. It is. Now, you talked about the state websites, and I, I, you have in this article, after you get through kind of the top 10, there's the the states. Tell us what's going to be different at the state level versus what we're seeing at kind of the overarching country level. Well, because, you know, we're used to now, you know, the U.S. Army is the U.S. Army. But back then, a lot of the units were assembled really from the states. So you'd have, you know, the Pennsylvania fourth volunteers or the Alabama this. And so a lot of those records were then generated at the state level. It's also true that pension records, you know, if you were a Confederate the on the losing side, it wasn't likely that the U.S. federal government is going to pay you a pension for rising up in rebellion against it. So <laughs> those records, the Confederate pension records are all state records. And so you'll find them, you know, Florida has them online, for example, I think Alabama has them online. And so that's a really good way to, you know, if you know where they serve from, you can zoom in on those state sites for those records. Wow, that's a great point. I see you've got listed here, South Carolina. So the Department of Archives and History has that. But in Tennessee, they have the Confederate pension applications. So, um, and you said that these websites, they do change a bit. So you've got all the links here, but I suppose they could just Google the title that you've given them if they, if for some reason a link has changed. Exactly. That's what I spent a fair amount of time this past week or so doing was trying to find where they had gone. Um, and a couple of them seemed to vanish completely, but I think I found most of them. Fantastic. Well, so this list is a really nice comprehensive approach to the Civil War research. It's by Dave Frixell and you'll find it in the show notes, I'll have a link that'll take you over to the online article, gives you these top 10 websites, and then lots of great options for pursuing it at the state level as well. And of course, the May-June 2021 issue of Family Tree Magazine is devoted to the Civil War and Civil War research. So you've got your work cut out for you. Thank you so much, Dave, for making our work a little bit easier. Thank you. No problem. 
Well, we've covered a lot of ground in this episode, but before we wrap up, let's head to the editor's desk where the editor of Family Tree Magazine, Andrew Cook, is waiting for us. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Lisa. Hey, and I guess after all this time, we should probably say, I don't know if we ever said it, we're not related. You're Cook, K-O-C-H, and I'm a Cook, C-O-O-K-E, right? (laughs) Yes, right, right. And, you know, it, it will help people, though, if people are ever curious how to pronounce K-O-C-H, it is the same way as yours. Exactly. And you'd be surprised at the number of people who get that wrong. Well, and I get a lot of cookies, you know, with the E on the oh, end. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. But either way, what we have in common is we have in common a love of genealogy. And I think yes. that the folks who are listening are going to love the May-June 2021 issue of Family Tree Magazine. So what are we going to be reading about this month? Well, Lisa, we've got a little bit of something for everyone in this upcoming issue. Our coverage story is on the best Civil War genealogy records just in time for the 160th anniversary of the war's beginning. And that's by author Michael Strauss, who's a federal records and military records expert, as well as our own contributing editor, Sonny Morton. Oh, Michael is fantastic. I've had him on my podcast and wow, does he know every last detail? That's going to be wonderful. Oh, yeah. And it's funny in the feature, uh, he has done civil war reenactment himself. So we Mm -hmm. have a picture of him and his regalia there. So it's, uh, it's clearly a passion for him as well. Oh, I love that. We've also got a feature article on ancestor and descendant numbering systems like on and Toffel. And that's coming from Drew Smith of the genealogy guys. So a really great system that you can adopt if you find that you just have way too many people in your tree and you need a way to keep track of them. So he walks you through a few of the most common systems using the royal family, the British royal family, actually, as uh, an example. Oh, he knows that stuff well. And, you know, that might be a new concept for a lot of people who are new to family history. Um, But that system has been around for a long time. Yes, and it's very useful in creating reports, too. Yeah, exactly. Wonderful. We also have a lot of great brick wall tips in this issue. We've got a couple feature articles, one on new online resources for Jewish genealogy, and another on finding ancestors who have common names, which is a problem that, of course, a lot of people have. And then we also have a free cheat sheet included in the issue that's on finding female ancestors. And in that, you'll find a roundup of records that typically mention women, nicknames for common female names, timelines of women's history, glossaries of words in multiple language that are related to women, and all kinds of great quick reference materials that'll help you trace the women in your family tree. Oh gosh, you do have something for everybody. And I'm I'm excited. I've got my uh, latest edition of the Lisa's Picks column in the issue. So uh, tell us, when are they going to be able to get their hands on it? So magazine subscribers should have already received their issues. And the issue will be on sale on newsstands and in our online shop by April 20th. Awesome. April 20th, 2021. And if you're listening well into the future, of course, you can always head over to familytreemagazine.com and pick up the digital issue uh, because it's still going to be super relevant and helpful to your genealogy research. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Andrew, for stopping by and telling us all about it. Yep. Great to be here. I'm so glad you joined me for this April 2021 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. It's the free show from America's number one genealogy magazine. If you're listening to the show through a podcast app like Apple or Google Podcasts, we'd love it if you'd give us a great review and a five-star rating that helps other genealogists find the show. 
And if you'd like to find the show notes for this episode, all the details, the website links, everything you need to know about what we talked about today, you can do that over at familytreemagazine.com slash podcast. Well, as always, this has been a lot of fun. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I hope you'll visit me over at my website, genealogygems.com, and uh, the Genealogy Gems channel over at YouTube. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. <laughs>